走。Say who you can say. On the internet, some people were really upset about the fact that they changed the way that she died.、Uh, But、see. I was not mad at it. It made perfect sense for the world that they have built in the show, and especially how the、um, the Infection、um, spreads and how it works.、Um, it freaked me out when、uh, you know Tess was giving the explanation, and they brought in the hive mind concept because that、mm-hmm. is terrifying to me. I just I clutched my pearls. I was so scared. And then when Joel shot one of the infected, and you could see the tendrils L- like slowly wrapping around, around the, his hand, and then alerting the rest of them over here. I was like, "Oh my god!" Because in the game, y'all,、um, it was the military、yeah. that came after them. That scene, Fedra, and yeah, Fedra, and Neil and Craig Mazin, who is the series co-creator, and、um, also you know he directs some of the episodes. This is also the one who is the creator of that HBO miniseries,、uh, Chernobyl.、Uh, yes, Chernobyl, which I think you guys, if you haven't watched that. Please do. It is one of the most harrowing yet beautiful pieces of television I have ever seen. Like I, I just, I, I think, and I think it won a ton of Emmys.、It、like、did. it is so. It did. Chernobyl was very well done. Very, very well done. So it, it just makes perfect sense that he is one of the people who are helming The Last of Us because I feel like he just understands the. The human component of something like this, but he is—he does the disaster component so well as mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. you know as well. And with how they did how they did the hive mind concept, and when they all came came woke up and came after everyone, that was so terrifying. And the way that it was like the the whole kiss with the tendrils, I and I saw but the setup, the setup for that because we saw the horde, we saw them all. Turning in the sun, and they made it a point to say, you know, dang, there's more of them. It looks like we're not going that way. It looks like we're going the long way, whatever, whatever, to avoid that mass of of danger. And then for it to be still brought to them so innocently, right? Like I shot this one that happened to land in the wrong place <laughs> that woke up hundreds of them. And they were just coming. It was like it was very World War Z, like、mm-hmm. the way they just and you、Moved. could hear them coming.、Yep. Oh my god, it was too much. It, it was, was terrifying. Much. I thought it. I think it was still a beautiful way that they、um, did the scene, like they did the game,、um, where Tess, you know, sacrificed herself. Oh my god,、herself. she's infected. You have to、yeah. do this for me, Joel. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish. I wish they said that line where she she said, "There's got to be enough for. There's got to be enough."、Um, There's enough here that you have to feel some sort of obligation to me, so you get her to Tommy's. I wish they kept that line. I don't but... think they needed it though, with how they set up their relationship in the first episode.、True. I think it was, you know, it was. It was more... implied. Yeah, more、Good、so than、point. in the game. Good point.、Um, I did like the difference of Joel literally dragging Ellie out of the building because we can't leave her. We can't、yeah. just leave her here. Because in the game,、um, they left. They she、passed. actually, yeah, she actually listened to Joel and she apologized. She's like, "I never meant for any of this to, you know." And she walked out with Joel. But I felt like it was it was more visceral in the 
in the TV show to have Joel, like, without a word, he did it silently. He just dragged her out of there. Mm-hmm. And Tess's sacrifice, because it was, it was, um, gasoline and grenades i thought the whole explosion because in the in the game she was just shot down by the military yeah and then the rest of that was them hunting after you while you try to make your way out of the building but in the in the tv show it just didn't make sense for them to do that so they did the whole dramatic you know blow up sacrifice which i think was still beautiful um and i'm gonna miss tess also i just i found this out today it just it literally just happened to annie Wershing who played Tess in the video game. Oh, yeah, she died. She died from cancer today. She passed today. Um, I just, like, cancer, just, fuck cancer, honestly. I just, that is so, I didn't even know she was, like, wow. Yeah. That is, uh, I, my my thoughts go out to um, her husband and her family and friends and, um, you know, everybody who worked with her. Um, Cause that's gotta be so, I don't even know because you have, you have this show that is getting all this acclaim and it's been going good, but then you, you have this loss from somebody who was integral for it to be this thing. Like I just, that is so, uh, that is so terrible, but I, I really hope that um, I'm, you know, I'm, my prayers are with her uh, family and friends and everybody who was close with her and got to work with her because that is just terrible. And she was only 40. I think she was only 45. That's so young. Yep. But yeah, that was very, very sad to read. I, ugh, I, Lord have mercy. Um, I also wanted to um, give a, like, two thumbs up and a shout out and just, unanimous praise for um the i don't think you call it a cold a cold open but the opening that they did with this episode where similar to the pilot it was set with it was different characters different time frame and this one i think it was three days before the events in texas with uh joel and tommy and um sarah you know his daughter it took place in uh jakarta and it focused on a doctor who was a um I think she was another um, epidemiologist. Yeah. Um, oh, no, she was a mycology professor. Um, but Dr. Ratna, who um, is played by Christine Hakim, who is apparently um, a very acclaimed Indonesian actress. Um, and I can see why, because she was only in there for like 10 minutes. But she uh, she did such a when good job. When she said bomb them With- all... Because I was really waiting to see like what she was going to say, but I would when I tell you I was not expecting her to go all the way to annihilation. Just from that, but it's a good way I think to communicate the seriousness and build the world in a way that is that you can't do in the video game, right? Because <laughs> yeah. in the video game, you get the sense that this is an an insurmountable disease. As you're playing, uh-huh. thank you. Um, because you you just keep coming across it, and and at every every time you come against infected people, it never ends well, right? And so that sense of doom is always there from the moment right? you, you pick up the sticks. That, that POV of like you are Joel, <laughs> and the world is ended. But you can't do that in in a television show. So how do you do that in a television show? You start at the beginning. And you and you and you catch people up gradually with this idea that 
there's nothing you can do mm. except for burn it down. Exactly. And forgive me, it was two days before the events in Texas with our main characters. It was two days. Um, and just the, the, the fact alone that it was only two days before it got all the way to Texas and caused all that to happen. Like, because, the, and that's how you know how grave everything was. The fact that you would have to, because she said, what what happened to the person who bit her? Mm-hmm. And then when he said there are, it was like 13, 14 people other missing, missing people. Mm-hmm. Like, she was just like, at this point, burn it all down, shut it down. It has to, and she's like, I would, like, can I go home now? I would like to be with my family. That tore me up. This show is tearing me up effortlessly. Yes. It does it does such a good job. Because I also can I tell you when they were walking through the Capitol and they were in the hotel and Ellie was pl- I knew it was coming but she was playing and the, and the skeleton fell out I screamed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like what is happening to me? <laughs> I loved I loved the small detail of the frog on the piano and how nature just took back the city and you know the scenes from the where they were right from the game where um ellie is walking across that uh it was there a ladder or a, or a plank and it was no like the a plank wide, it was yeah. like a wide shot and then they took the lines from the video game the clicker scene was done like beautifully because um, can no. i also tell you that this is breathing. the only show that i care about the after the show behind the scenes moments like for every other show that's done, I watch that, them. I, I sit there. Less, I sit there, and but I for watch this, them. I am tuned in. Tell me. I sit me. there and I watch them. Tell me how you did this, because I need to know. I need and the to know. Click, but the the way in which they are caring about this show for the people who like the games is so fulfilling on a number of different levels because it really does mean that you're, you're you care about this this franchise, this IP. I think Neil said he like cried when he saw yeah the, the final design for the clickers because mm-hmm. he was just so like this is per-. and then they even got the original voice actors back for who did the clickers and I'm just like oh my god the town ta- I'm just oh they this is done very very well and they are not wasting any time by striking while the iron is hot because. It was announced that the show has officially been renewed for season two, which um, is going to undoubtedly um, adapt the events from The Last of Us Part Two, which I will have you know, I have ordered. It is on its way. I will probably um, have started playing by the time we start recording next week's episode. And everybody in their mama is telling me that I am not ready. You're not. You're not. You're not ready for what's about to happen to you. You're not ready for what's about to happen to you. But it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to get ready as best I can. I don't you know. You can't. There is no preparation. You're just, you just have to experience it. And then die a little bit. It's okay. Yeah. 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 So how are you? Chilling. I'm ready for January to be over. 
I mean, this is the this it'll be over Wednesday. Wednesday is February first. It's just that like there's Rent always so much that happens in January because work is always really busy at the beginning of the year. True, and then true, true. Everybody it's wants the, to oh, Lord. get their side projects up, like either to finish them after the holidays or get them up and running for the new year. And then I just feel like after my birthday, it's just like this month is forever. <laughs> but it's it's over. It's over Wednesday. Um, so, you know, but yeah, it has been a, it has been a busy, busy month. Um, How are you? I'm good. I am, I am planning to, for the month of February, I am planning to implement what I have called PPPJS, which is, um, protein, Pilates, push-ups, um, juicing and sleep. Those are my areas of focus when it comes to fitness and health because I I need to get at, I want to start getting like at least seven to eight hours of sleep every night because I usually run on like five to six and I got to stop doing that. That's not very healthy. It's uh, not. Ju- juicing, just a better way to get um, my nutrients and also stay stave off like um, cravings and stuff and you know, um, and just do better. Um, and then push-ups because I need upper body strength and I'm just trying to, you know, be able to do more of them, you know, just start, start off small and work my way up. Um, Pilates, I need to stretch this body out and get flexible and build up other strength because it's a form of strength training. And then uh, protein, that's pretty much self-explanatory. Protein is, you know, muscle recovery, but also I just need, I just need more protein because when I want to, because I want to lose weight at the same time, I'm building lean muscle, and protein is a requirement for that. Um, so I need more protein shakes. Gonna need more chicken and you know all the almonds and all this stuff. And I cannot believe how expensive protein shakes are at BJ's. Like I don't remember them being almost thirty dollars for a fifteen pack. Mm. I don't know what's happening anymore. Inflation. It's the eggs. It's everything. It's everything. It's too I don't, much. I don't like it, and I didn't sign up for this. I didn't, but this is what we have to deal with. And then it's uh, then you know the W twos are starting to get sent out, so it's time to file in taxes. Oh Lord! So you know, adulting, but that's how I am. Yeah. So let's just jump into Economicon because I am not trying to have this episode be a Harry Potter movie like last week's. Although I really hope y'all like that one. Aside from Mel and her puns. Movie. Oh my god, my puns are A1. Get over it. <laughs> um, speaking of stuff that um, we need to get over. Oh, the Oscars? The noms? Well, I just, I mean, should we be surprised? Well, here's here's the thing, right? When Oscar So White caught on, and everyone was talking about it. Everyone was talking about it, but not in a way that is like, oh my God, we didn't know this was happening. It was just like to call it out, right? To finally put a name to the thing that has been happening for the since the inception of the Academy. My one of my biggest qualms in all of this, right, is not a single woman director was nominated in the category of Best Director. Even though last year, didn't she win Jane Campion for Power oh, of the yeah. Dog? Yeah. Won. So yeah. We, we go from 
one the the twelve well, months one ago. Step, one step forward, three steps had, back. Yes. And it's and it's interesting the ebb and flow of that, right? Uh, we had not a single <laughs> black director in this category. And the two films that were women run and women led were not nominated. Like the fact that the woman king was snubbed entirely is obnoxious. And the fact that Gina did not get nominated for best director after directing the woman king that is like a masterpiece in in a period drama fighting situation is bonkers. Bonkers. I saw a clip of Viola Davis where she was at this round table with other actors. And I think she was talking about the woman King in the sense that in order for it to be successful, um, a large number of white men have to see it. A large number of white women have to see it. And a large number of black men have to see it. And then I saw another, um, can I say, me a note or a critique about how um, it wasn't nominated because apparently not enough of the voters from the Academy saw it mm-hmm. for it to be nominated. And that just makes me, I'm just like, so who is, who is and isn't watching these movies and, and why are they, because the woman King, I saw it, you saw it, I saw it in theaters. It was a phenomenal movie. I think it, and it had those, it did the work and it had those tough conversations. Um, and I think everybody excelled at their craft in the film. And the fact that so many of, like you said, it was completely, completely shut out, especially in the categories where it was a shoe-in. And it's just not me saying this. This is like so many people thought The Woman King was a shoe-in for a lot of these key nominations. And the fact that it was shut out, it's just, it's glaring. It's very glaring. Same with uh, Danielle Deadweiler um, as Mamie Till and Till for Best Actress. Yeah. But that's that's the other interesting thing because when you and then like nope received no nominations. Oh my god, that's a that's another that's a that's a that's and another big one. When you look where at, the fuck was nope? But when you look at how many nominations get out received, and then see that nope got none, and then remember when the green book got all those nominations, and then till gets none. And then every war movie ever made has been nominated for an Academy Award. Every war movie. But now The Woman King they is not. War. They love war. You, But that was one of the reasons why everyone's like, oh, no, the, it's a shoe-in for The Woman King. Because it, it hit all of the, the, the story marks that the Academy normally goes for. But mm. now because it's these black women, it's been taken out of the running. To, to speak to who was watching and why, right? So back in the day when people got screeners... They just sent DVDs or whatever, and then it was your responsibility to watch it or not. With streaming, you can you can now track to see how many minutes was watched, but I think you only are required to watch five minutes. Mm-hmm. You don't have to watch the whole thing. And there are really strict rules about uh, promoting your film to be watched, but there's loopholes, right? So you can send an email out like, oh, have you seen Jared's new movie? 
it's up for an award. You should watch it, right? And you can send them pretty often. And that is with well within the rules. So if people weren't doing that, then then it's really easy to kind of get lost in the sauce because unfortunately, when you are a member of the academy, you just get sent everything. So that could be hundreds of films that if and then if you're sitting there watching it all and then you you're on film 135, like eventually it all just starts to blur together anyway. The way in which people vote people are required to vote for stuff is antiquated. Hmm. And the system needs to be updated a little bit. Otherwise it's going to continue to be like this because it's like everything else. If I'm in the Academy and you're my friend and you're like, Hey, I made this movie. Yeah. Of of course it's on my radar, but if I don't know you and I've never heard of you or if I've heard of you, but I don't care, then you can just stay to the left. And is is I is what I feel like happens more often than not because this stuff with what's her name, Amanda Andrea, Andrea yeah Andrea Riseborough is proof of that. Yeah, and I don't want and then, like not too much on Andrea. Like she is she is truly um, an actress, a chameleon of one. Like Mel and I both, um, saw, you know, saw Possessor, and she was she started that. I'm like she. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want this to, I'm not it's saying not this about to take, her. yeah, I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying this to take away from her acting ability, but I am saying this to talk about the way in which she got her nomination, because then, like Mel said, it's like, I think it's, the Academy is going to have to take a, uh, take an inward look and rethink some of their rules, because it doesn't, you're, because it seems like, because it says that, so a little backstory, um, the the film that Andrea is nominated for Best Actress to for Leslie. Is, is no called one's to, heard of it. <laughs> to sum it up, it 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 came out, and as as Mel had told me um a little bit before we start recording, um when this movie came out, they the production had no much had no more money to spend on promoting it, so it just it was like a quiet release. But um, you know the the director, his wife, and Riseborough, like Andrea herself, um, you know, they they hired publicists, but they also contacted um, a bunch of their friends and people they knew in the industry to watch the film, and if they liked it, promote it on their own personal socials or however they could do so. And a lot of them did this, like, right before in like the period let's say like a fortnight or so before the nominations were to be announced so there was like this giant push for this film that nobody had seen but being fronted by like the famous of the famous like um edward norton gwyneth paltrow sarah paulson who we all know from american horror story fame Mm -hmm. and it just had this huge push and then the oscar nominations came out and there and there Andrea was for this role in this movie that nobody, and when I say nobody, I mean the general public. Nobody. We have never, I haven't seen an ad, a trailer, a poster, nothing. And it's it's Academy Rules where, um, you know, individuals are not allowed to give their personal signature, personal regards, or pleas to watch the film in um, campaign-related communications. And the Academy will 
on, you know, sometimes take back the nomination if it is found out that it was received under, you know, um, untoward means such as this. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that, um, nothing's going to happen her her uh nomination her nomination can't be taken away but it's a- actually the whole thing is under review as we speak they're they're actually investigating to see like if it qualifies to be rescinded and i just think that it's just cuz i'm like is it is it that it is it's it's kind of like it's kind of just like how did she get in like that but also is she taking up space from other nominees who should have been in it's this whole murky conversation that i mean it's but this happens almost every year every year there's some kind of controversy or something with the academy and who gets nominated and and who gets not and it's just like in it like i'm I'm trying every year i try not to get um from for my own peace of mind i try not to get wrapped up too tight in it but it's just very like it's just things that make you go hmm you know well, it's it's the system right and I feel as though the Academy was like a lot of other things in our society where was not built with inclusion in mind. Right. Right. It was not built for black and brown filmmakers to succeed. It was not built for black and brown performers to succeed. And I get that. Every filmmaker wants an Oscar. Every actor and actress and screenwriter wants to be nominated and receive an Oscar because that is the biggest award that you could get for this profession, right? But And we've talked about this on this podcast before and in our own friend circles. At what point do you keep trying to play this game? (laughs) And at what point do you decide, yeah, it would be cool. But it's a game that was not designed with me in mind, right? The controller is not built for somebody with thumbs, and I got thumbs, and this is not for me. I mean, like, nope. Because Hunt for Jesus Save Your Soul elsewhere. wasn't oh, nominated either. Oh, my God, don't do this to me. Don't. Oh, Regina Hall, you deserve and so much. so much more than what she got. Oh, that was such a good feel. Oh, see, I... I'm going to get upset. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do But that's, this. and it's like, I get that every, like, I also don't enjoy the conversation of like those hoteps that are like, we just need to build something for ourselves. Here y'all go. But to a, to a point, I'm not mad at it. You know what I mean? Like there mm. needs to be other avenues to, to like, remember the BET awards in like 2002? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like gold, beautiful community. We're going to recognize ourselves. And it's great. Till this like, day, I, Monique is still the best host they ever had. And I wish that there was something in in that very specific vein for black and brown filmmakers to be able to celebrate themselves on a grand scale. That is not trying to conform yourself into a system that doesn't want to recognize you anyway. Mm-hmm. Between Parasite, Moonlight green book like all of the nonsense that continues to happen at the oscars what are we what are we i mean i'm not gonna front though like if i ever got to the point where i was nominated for one i'm a go but <laughs> i mean that i'm I... not gonna be mad i'm not gonna be as mad because it's like it's not surprising you know what i mean like is it annoying 
Yes. Is as it sad? I always yes. say, is it surprising? I al- no. As I always say, if you, if you love something, you know, you still have the right to critique it. Right. That's just... And you could be a part of a system and, and also be like, well, I'm still voting for everybody black and that's fine. Yeah. Like, we know the game here. We know the rules. We know the stakes. Like, it's all right. It's all right. So shout out to um, all the black nominees. Um, Brian Tyree Henry um, for Best Supporting Actor in Causeway, which is yep. an Apple Plus film. I still need to watch that. But Brian, I'm so happy for Brian because when I tell you that man has range. Yes. I yes. swear to Jesus. Like, for 2016, Atlanta, Paperboy. And he has done so much since then. And each role is so... Like, his... Um, the role he did in um, Godzilla versus Kong. Yep. Like you couldn't tell me that's the same person who played Paperboy. I still haven't seen um, Bullet Train, but I know. Oh that, my god! I know. I know that he <laughs> you killed looked in like that. A Thomas. It was. He was so good. I know he, he was killed in that. So good. Everybody wants a. I forget what are their character. Uh, what are their characters' names? Him and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, I don't remember. Everybody is saying that they need a movie focused on yes. just those two. Like yes, a like a prequel. Yeah. yeah or something yes so i need to i need to see that but he is so oh my god that man has so, um um fastos in the eternals like uh, 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 and then he was the detective in chucky oh my god he sure was he sure was he's I just, just good i'm so he's happy that good. he is getting like um this Roles, kind of recognition and, and this and 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 the flowers that he deserves um at this point in his career because he is just so talented um angela bassett as you know for best supporting actress for like panther wakana forever um also as an aside i want to say that i am so overjoyed that uh stephanie sue also got nominated in that same category oh yeah for everything everywhere and if if she's gotten snubbed a lot too stephanie i don't want to i don't want to start that because i'm gonna get mad like i said (laughs) um and I, I want, I want, I'm going to say that I want, I want Auntie Angela to take it. I really do because it's been, it's been a long time coming. She deserves it. But if Stephanie were to win, I would be happy for Stephanie. But I just, I want to say that I really do hope that um, Auntie Angela takes it though. But the fact that Stephanie got nominated, I just like this perfect. Cause it's just like y'all were doing too much snubbing her and everywhere else. But I'm really happy that she, got nominated um rihanna got nominated for best original song for lift me up rihanna and tims got nominated for best original song for uh wakanda forever for you know lift me up Mm. um wakanda forever also got nominated for best visual effects and ruth carter got nominated for best costume design for wakanda for and i every listen like it's her Ruth, don't miss. It's her, and see, like I want her to dress me. Like I just, I don't, I don't know if she does red carpet stuff, but I just, I want like when you saw the outfits that Sherry was wearing, that Ramonda was like, I did. You just want to. It's like something about when people when you have a costume designer who who is able to make Mm -hmm. a full character out of the wardrobe it just it speaks to me and ruth does not miss this is the same costume designer for coming to america no mm-hmm. like uh, oh she's so talented she actually won um for black panther back yeah. in i think 2019 so if she takes it for this one a perfect um and then 
Because um, Ruth used to work with Spike Lee. She did the costumes for school days. That's why I love her. See, look, look, black actress. And she did Being Mary Jane. No, she didn't. No, she did. She really? Mm-hmm. The whole show? I think. I think so. Oh my god, that makes so that makes that makes perfect sense. Because the way I wanted to live inside uh, Mary Jane Paul's wardrobe, like, <laughs> oh god, that makes perfect sense. No, for real, like. Oh my she god! Did, she did uh, Malcolm X. She did the Amistad. She did both Black Panthers. She was the first Black woman to win an Academy Award in costume design for Black Panther. I think. My God, the talent! I just, y'all. She just, I can't. Oh, Ruth, take it away. Take it. Take the award, please. I hope she. Gets she did. It. Yeah, she did School Days. She did Do the Right Thing. She did House Party Two. She did Jungle Fever. <gasps> Malcolm X, Crooklyn, Clockers. She did all of Spike Lee's stuff. Well, not Uh, all of, but you know what I mean. She uh, did Rosewood for John Singleton. Frequent collaborators. Oh, she's so good. She did Love and Basketball with Gina. Mm -hmm. Shaft, Bamboozled. Mm -hmm. Basically, most of the Black movies that we love, she did. (laughs) And we love you, Ruth. Oh, my God. Dress me. (laughs) She did Um, The Butler. She did Selma. She did everything. Dolomite is my name. Coming to America. Blade. Or she's doing Blade. Oh, she's doing Blade! Ah! Uh, oh, Mahershala is about to be looking. Oh. She's doing Blade. Ruth I'm is... so excited. Oh my God, I need a minute. <gasps> Ruth is amazing. Oh, <gasps> just, just get into her talent. So congratulations to Ruth. Um, but second page in Anger Rom-Con this week, because we, we were talked about so much last week, we forgot to talk about our reactions to the Scream 6 trailer. And your reactions? Well, um, I think this ghost face is born and bred in New York, because how, how do you walk in the bodega and shoot um, a patron and the owner uh, of the bodega with their own shotgun? And then you start hunting the girls in the store with their own shotgun. But I just, it just made me more than ever want to see Ghostface take on some true New Yorkers. Like, I want to see him go against Ice Spice. Like. I want to see him go against, you know, Cardi B. Like, I want to see him go against um, the eight ball jacket guy. Oh, like, I, I want to, I want to really see Ghostface take on some true. New Yorkers. I want to see him in the Bronx. Like I, I need the characters to go to the Bronx. I need to go to Red Hook, Brooklyn. I need to see Ghostface. Like, let's find out. Let let Ghostface has never been black. He's never been anything but white. That's true. So, what if Ghostface is a New Yorker of color? They're not ready for that. No, because they kept saying this Ghostface is not like any of the other Ghostfaces. So, what better way to be? I don't know, y'all. So, yeah. Um, Somebody gonna get got. A lot of people are gonna get got if this is a New Yorker ghost face. Can I tell you, I watch him do the reveal with one of the main characters tied up or some shit, but he's just munching down at a bacon, egg, and cheese while he's doing the explanation. Wow. <laughs> Can I tell you though that I am slightly concerned? You think they're gonna do too much? I just think that it's very sensational right now. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much of this is going to be shock for shock's value. 
Yeah, because they're just, I think they're trying to keep up the momentum of the fifth one where it was like um, they had Cindy back, you know, their biggest legacy character and the, you know, the whole, me- and it felt like a re- it felt like a redux of the first screen. Yeah, but, it did. So I feel like they're just trying to keep up the momentum. But my thing is, how do you keep doing that? But you do something different at the same time. It's, and I it's, feel like it's it's, it's rocky territory. So yeah. I'm st- I'm still gonna be there March 10th, honey. I'll I mean, right we there. all gonna be there. We didn't ask for this, but we gonna show up for it. And again, shout out to ne- to Nev Neve. Uh, Miss Campbell for knowing her worth I miss you I really wish you were in this film but I'm glad that you you stood ten toes down on the fact that you should have been paid more because you really did give a lot to the series I am disappointed that they did not give you what you were asking for but I'm glad that you you know you stood ten toes down and I still support you girl so um, I do wish you were in this film but I, I wish you the best though and I'm glad that you, you know, you chose yourself. I respect that. <laughs> I do. I really do. I mean, I'm not mad at it. I really do. But that was the Necronomicon, another long one. God help us. But hopefully this <laughs> will not be as long. Um, but we are going to jump to the crit now. We are back yet again in the 1980s. Why are we in the 80s, Mel? Because I love the 80s and the 80s is a great time for movies. Lord, ah! She's just addicted to the 80s. We just, we can't get her out of the 80s. I, you, you're never going to get me out of the 80s and it's okay because I am so excited for this week's movie. I have been wanting <laughs> to talk about this movie since we started this freaking podcast, man. Ah! So we are in the year 1985, and we are. Wait a minute! Why does he look so familiar? Who? I feel like I've seen him in other stuff. Um, I probably have, but we are in the year 1985, y'all. We are taking it back to college. We are taking it back to the morgue. We are taking it back to med school because we are talking about <laughs> the crazy film Reanimator. Starring Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West and Bruce Abbott as Dan Kane. Um, if y'all don't know this film, it is marketed as a horror comedy um, about a medical student who has invented what is called the reagent, which can, as the title says, reanimate deceased bodies. And him. And but his class- you, I, I, I thought that you would like this because I didn't Stuart say Gordon- I didn't. But no, 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 no. I'm saying one of the reasons why I was like, we need to do this together and do this on the show is because Stuart Gordon also directed Dolls. Uh-uh. Oh, you lying. Right. Wow. So I'm like, you, there, there's a, there's a director's eye here that, that is, it, that he's done something before that you like. And this is like the core of me of all of the things that I like about horror movies. And I'm like, there's this nice, I think there's going to be this nice like synergy here when we talk about it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Um, We could have also used this film as the one for body horror, but instead for trope, but our trope for this week is mad scientist. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. So Mel thought what other, what other perfect movie to do than reanimator. So I'm I'm into it. I I will confession, this is my first time watching this film. 
I had never seen it before, but I did like it. I thought it was a wild time because, of course, it's 1980s horror. You can't get any wilder than that. This is the kind of horror that um, Akila Cooper is trying to bring back uh, modern day. Honestly, and, you know, I was going to say this, but I'll just say it now. If there is a movie that, again, is ripe for the remake or reboot, whatever picking, I feel like Reanimator is it. And I feel like y'all should just do it straight horror. Oh, like serious, like straight horror. I feel like it could be like. I feel like it could be. I mean, not to say you can't have humor in there. Maybe to do it in the same vein as like Sinister, where it was mm. very straight horror, but you had like um that detective or the yeah. police officer. Kind of, there was a in the there was a, there was a little small comic relief in there, just a little bit sprinkled in, but majority of it was very like serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see this happening, especially if you have a character as deadpan as West, <laughs> and how that could be. Oh, I feel like oh, Akila, call us. Let's work together. Our right, people call your people. I got you. This Let's talk. Great. But Mel, but so, why don't you? Why don't you um, take the reins for a bit for the people? The Mad Scientist is one of probably the most recognizable sci-fi tropes ever made, right? And we've seen it before. Most notably and most recently in Rick and Morty, because Rick is a mad scientist, right? We've also seen it in Frankenfurter and Rocky Horror, uh, Dr. Brown in Back to the Future, um, Norman Osborn in Spider-Man. And then, mm-hmm. like, we could also say Lex Luthor is a mad scientist from who, Spider-Man. Who, 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 was your first, who was your first mad scientist? My first or the first? Your first. My first. It was probably Dr. Brown and Back to the Future. Unless you count like Mandark and Dexter from Dexter's Lab. Oh. Hmm. They were like baby mad scientists. I don't know. I feel like mine is definitely um, Goosebumps. Stay out of the basement. Dr. Brewer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. Margaret even said it. Like, you think that like Dad is a mad scientist or something? Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, he's down there making like he was, and he was he was eating plant food. Like, what's <laughs> going on? What's wrong with Dad? And the mom is um, with the sister who's recovering, and oh my God, Stay Out of the Basement is one of the best episodes of Goosebumps. I personally think it was one that me and my siblings grew up on. We had it on the VHS. So Not we on the it. tapes. You can watch whatever you we wanted. We would watch that shit frequently. Till this day, that is like a a core memory of mine for Goosebumps. Like I remember that episode so well. I'm so sad they took that shit off Netflix. I need it back somewhere on some. You gotta buy the DVD. No, I need the whole series on streaming again so I can relive my childhood. But yes, uh, (laughs) Doctor Brewer was my very first mad scientist, and then you know reading like you know Dr. Jekyll and and Mr. Hyde, you know. Oh uh yep, Frankenstein. So the mad scientist trope. And what what is so what is it about the mad scientist Mel that makes him mad? And in this sense we mean like crazy, unhinged, dangerous. So it's it's a lot to wrap your brain around, right? Because science as we know it and think about it is only about 200 years old when because like technically in in literature dr victor frankenstein is the first mad scientist but the word scientist wasn't even coined as a word until 1833 Mm. 
So there's a really big gap here in between like the written word and then society. Right. But the that idea of like an unhinged scientist is based purely in like puritanical religious beliefs, because it's this it's this morality code, because when you think about. Here's the set the scene. We all know Galileo because we all learned about Galileo in like for the last 10 years of that man's life, he was put under house arrest because he said that the earth revolved around the sun and not the other way around. And they put him on house arrest? Yes. A witch. It must be a witch. This man is crazy. How dare he a say? Witch. <laughs> How dare he say the earth revolves around the sun? What? Then you're, you might as well say the earth is round, right? And it's because, <laughs> like, the vibe was the church says this and it becomes fact. So that is what it is. But science at its base form is like trying to figure things out for what they are. And a lot of the times that went against what the church was saying or what society believed. And to, to, to have proof, like, oh, no, like gravity is a thing. Let me show you a witch. <laughs> you must be a witch. Absolutely not. Right. And the idea of a mad scientist pushes that even further because a lot of the times that character, like physically, we've all seen them. Wild, white hair, lab coat, kind of an asshole. Always the, it's always the white lab coat. Always the white lab coat, right? Always the like Einstein looking hairdo moment. Then a little bit vindictive, trying to get all the power in the universe, whatever. But it's also that that idea of, like a doctor playing God at to a point, right? And how far past that you're willing to go. And whenever we see a mad scientist in this way, he always has no morals. He's always going to sacrifice anyone mm-hmm. and everyone in order to get to what's that? There's a term for that. Uh me, 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 uh, me, oh my god. I Mecca like a high, Mecca high God, I hate you so much. Words. <laughs> Mackie, hold on. It's it's right here. Machiavellianism. Yes. Sure. It's a personality trait that denotes cunningness, the ability to be manipulative, and a drive to use whatever means necessary to gain power. Yes, then yes. Boom. I think the interesting thing, because I was studying this a little bit in grad school when I was trying to figure out what my thesis was, uh, it's interesting that the mad scientist is always a white man. Now, the first literary instance of him, like I said, is Dr. Frankenstein. The first visual instance of a mad scientist is in um, Metropolis, every film student's favorite movie besides Citizen Kane. And oh, Lord. Uh, <clears throat> Rot Wang really became the, the archetype for what we think that that's supposed to look like, right? And then it's kind of solidified itself as this caricature and this this specific trope. Uh, so I think that with that in mind, it's interesting how as a Black person examining this idea, you can you can connect the dots between the the 
the visual of this character and the crappy and terrible things scientists have done to black people and people of color in the name of science. Oh. When you think of like Tuskegee. Henrietta Lacks and Tuskegee oh, and oh, Henrietta, oh Lord. All of no. the things that have, have not, happened. If y'all have not read The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, please read it. That book changed me. Right. But so, you know, when when there's whenever we have a, a conversation about health disparity in America. Oh. It always comes down to Let's like, oh, black people it. don't go to the doctor. But why, why don't, don't they go, to the, go to the doctor? That was, oh my God, my parents were the same way. My mom, God rest her soul. Um, it'll have been 20 years this December, but my mom passed um, in December, 2003 from pneumonia. And before, you know, she went to the hospital, you know, emergency room, all the just a whole bunch of thing, but in the weeks before that, like she wasn't feeling well and all this stuff, but she just refused to go to the hospital. It's like a generational thing because mm-hmm. older black people have like this, um, this they're very um, a- averse to going mm-hmm. to the doctor. Like very, very like um, it, it's 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 like a fear, but it's almost like almost like a uh, almost like a hatred too. Yeah. I mean, because like, you don't like trust complete, people. Yeah, like a complete refusal. And yeah, you're right. It it comes from distrust. And I just remember thinking, like, at that age, um, if only we got her to the doctor sooner, if only we got her to the hospital sooner. But it's like one of those things where you can't you can't take her if she doesn't want to go. Right. You right. know, and I feel like um so many other people have been in a similar situation where um an elder that they really um love and care for um that they want to get you know to the hospital to so they can get um evaluated and professional help and all this stuff it's hard to do that because they just outright refuse to right. but you but it's like you 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 have to have a conversation you have to think about like where does this come from and mm-hmm. how it's like it's generational but it's also um What's the word I'm looking for? It's like passed down. Yes. It's still generational. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just that. Yeah. But so, and, and it, when you think about that, right. And couple that with who makes these movies, it, it's always very interesting to me that that little piece has always kind of been left out because the mad scientists, as we see them. And I think that Rick and Dr. Brown are two really good examples of that. It, they're just these like kooky old white dudes that tinker <laughs> and then accidentally mess up the universe on a grand scale and then we have to fix it, right? And that is a great way to see a character when you don't have the generational trauma of what that could potentially be. And I always wonder what a mad scientist would look like with a black film with a black store showrunner a black filmmaker a black writer a black director at the helm and what that would be like and how that character would come across and come off because it wouldn't just be you know some kooky grandpa it would it would have a very different undertone to the to the trope if it was written by a non-white person Mm -hmm. um 
uh, to switch gears a little bit, <laughs> in recent, recent years, except for probably Rick and Morty, right, the, the trope became less of that, like, kooky, wacky dude and more of, like, a corporate, sneaky mad scientist. Mm-hmm. Specifically, my two references for that are Lex Luthor and Norman Osborn from Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at those characters, like, they're very well put together. Yes. They can hold a room. They can have a conversation. They run companies and the whole thing. But then, but then they crazy. <laughs> like, Norman Osborn literally is the modern-day Jekyll and Hyde with him and the Goblin. And then Lex is really just, like, this power-hungry, I will burn the Earth and go to Mars and start over type. And he uses... Teleport us to Mars. Mars. Every Sorry. technology that he has to make that a reality. And and that, again, goes back to that, the, the moral compass or the lack thereof is kind of really what's being examined. Also, what's being examined is society's relationship to science and how we process new discoveries and, and new things. Because honestly, that's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for the, the sci-fi movie about a vaccine. About this guy that made Lord. a vaccine and it went horribly wrong or it made monsters or whatever, because that was the general consensus to the COVID vaccine, right? So I'm like, do where we is really this need movie? that though? Do we need we don't need it, but I'm sure someone somewhere is making it. Lord <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> or like the reverse of that, right? Because generally, or or yeah, generally the the, the vaccine was pretty well recepted, but there's a small group of folks that were like, uh eh, no. So what, what about that film where everyone who takes the vaccine is fine, but then the people who don't take it turn into whatever. And then there's like this whole other thing. That's kind of what I was waiting for, mm. but it didn't materialize. So, but yeah, that's, that's kind of like the background on the trope itself uh, on a very tip of the iceberg level. <laughs> Cause it's, it's a, it's a, the iceberg is very deep y'all. Very oh, she did. Indeed, she goes under. Um, the mad scientist trope, though, yeah, that I like how you say it's because it is a, it operates in like a, it's a dichotomy where science is, you know, innovation and discoveries, but then you add the mad in front of it, and it's like, um, then there seems to be some kind of um, motive that might go against. Mm-hmm. what science is for because then you're starting to um how do i say this you're starting to impede i would say progress because your madness is starting to get in the way of what this is really supposed to be for because then it gets you know um personal gain or nefarious uses like i just could not believe the switch up when old uh head doctor discovered what head was going doctor. on and instead of and instead of, um, uh, I think oh. his name is Dr. Carl Hill. Yeah, Dr. Um, Hill. Instead of stopping it, he's like, hmm, I'm going to take this for myself. Dang. Exactly. And I was like, oh, my God, everybody here is a freaking. I was like, I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. So. But it, that is the interesting thing of of what do we, how do we determine madness? Right? Because he wanted I. To, he, 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 he wanted to control, like. I was surprised the government didn't get involved. We're just like, oh my, like similar to Pinocchio. He's the perfect soldier where it's like, <laughs> oh, we can make our own army of cadavers. Yeah, kind of, basically. But it's like the the opening of Reanimator is probably one of my favorite film openings of all time. The guttural 
scream that just opens the film. And then it's all these people banging on a door. Like, I, didn't yo, get it. I didn't get it until later in the movie that uh, that the opening was where he was before he mm-hmm. got to. And it explained um, a question that Megan had asked him, like, what what were you doing before, or what happened before you came here? And he said, like, why'd you, why'd you, exactly, why'd you leave? His quotables? There are so many quotables and in I wrote, this movie. I wrote down, <laughs> I, I will admit, I wrote down several. Because you did. know what my favorite one was? It was mainly the, the delivery, why Birth I wrote them hurts. down. What? Birth hurts generally. I was like, oh. When they, uh, when they were re- oh yeah, birth, he said birth is always painful. Birth is always painful. I, I wrote like, that oh. down. My I think my favorite was like Dan, look out where he goes after um, the reanimated um, Dean and just st- uh, stabs him with the bone saw. Mm-hmm. It was the way he said it though, like he was just about to like Move out of the way, like like he was just about to like um, I don't know like kill a fly or something he was just there was something there was something herbert west was very the apathy he was so apathetic he was so was disconnected like, there was so he was i thought he i thought it was social awkwardness no but no he's just very like there's something there's something unplugged in there because when when they were at the seminar and every time that the the dr hill says i'm he like he snapped that pencil <laughs> he did it twice and he said i i suggest you bring a Get pen, a pen. <laughs> Okay, but so no, the opening scene, it sets the film up so beautifully because they I thought, break I really, in. I like how they open it like that. They didn't start with the credits. They just started with that. Here's what you need to know. And then when they when the guy's eyeballs start bleeding and it looks like his head is going to explode. And Again, he dies, 80s whore. And the nurse is like, you killed him. And he's like, no, I just gave him too much. I was like, yo. <laughs> no, I gave him life. Does that give you life? Are you living? Are you living for it now? (laughs) But it's like, it's just like, that I think is where the madness is defined. Because under normal societal expectations and circumstances, you know, we're not going to sit here and think that this human life is like a lab rat that we just like, oh no, I gave him too much of the serum. Like everyone else was so freaked out. And he was like, he just couldn't take it. And I think that that's kind of like where we we have we plural we have to define him Herbert as crazy to justify why we are uncomfortable in this moment because right in no normal human would be comfortable watching another human's eyeballs melt into into blood and then his head explode right like i said there's something unplugged in there that allows him to operate this way because if he had any ounce of empathy or um sanity or you know anything anything if he had any ounce of um because what i liked about this movie was uh um Bruce Abbott's character, uh, Daniel Kane, I feel he was Herbert's spoil. He was yeah. the opposite of Herbert and everything that um, Herbert wasn't, he was. Like, he was the one who was affected by all this stuff. Like, that part where he went into shock. Oh, after, yeah, and they put um, the blanket on him. 
I was like, this ain't what what I was like, what in the James Brown? I was just <laughs> like, oh my God. And he just and he's like, Oh, you're going into shock. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. But, but I like the I like that um the way though they were able to play off of one another with that, where you have you have Daniel being like the voice of reason and the and the shocked one and the one and the like basically the 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 human one. And then you have Herbert, Herbert, who is so hellbent on getting this formula right and having them really be reanimated and um I feel like coherent at the same time. Um he just it just he just really wanted to he wanted to give the children life, Mel. And it just it wasn't it wasn't working the way that he wanted it to. But it was the what really got me about the mad scientist thing was how it wasn't just one. I did it not wasn't just one. I didn't see Carl coming. I didn't see Dr. Carl Hill coming into this and then becoming even a bigger antagonist than Herbert. Oh, Herbert. Yeah. Like it was like the it was like the baton was forcibly taken. From her, like, oh, you thought you was the big bad. He was like, oh, Watch oh, out. You, oh, you thought you were the mad scientist in charge. You thought you were the MSIC. <laughs> I'll show you what's really going on. But it's so it's it's. I think that 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 when you've watched this a couple of times, the the moment with the pencils sticks out even more. Because he says, if you were, you are so derivative of the guy I was just studying under. Oh, that you my God. might the, as well be a Google page. Like, the shut way up. that he read, he insulted Dr. Carl. Dr. Carl hated that boy. And so, the, <laughs> and that's why he wanted to, he didn't want to work together. He wanted to just completely take over his shit. He's like, oh, look at all this research. Thank you so much. But that's exactly why, again, another one of Herbert's lines where he said it like deadpan. It was right before he decapitated him. He called him, he said, plagiarist. And then hit him over the head. <laughs> that was the other funny thing. So jumping ahead a little bit, the the scenes with Megan in the morgue were so unnecessary. Unnecessary. I was like, why are we, why is- Why are why, we naked? Why is there the the headless, well, not- Cuddlingus? Yeah, head, no, headless sexual assault. Yes, it was a lot going on. That her father so ripped her clothes off. We were full frontal. Like that whole situation was w- what? So unnecessary. But and the I- funniest thing about it is when H- Herbert comes in and he's like, Dr. Hill, I am not the very- not the not the not the sexual assault, y'all, the scene. Just the 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 the, the scene. Not the not the sexual assault in the scene, but the scene. Like what happened. Aside from the sexual assault, that's what was funny. Not the sexual assault. I just want I don't to clarify think that. Anyone would have misunderstood me, and I think I just I just want them to know. I just want to be careful. I can't, okay, but like I was uncomfortable. Okay, I was right, but y'all know us, and I feel like if you jump to that conclusion, then maybe <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, but when Herbert comes in and he's like, "I'm very disappointed in you, Doctor Hill. You steal the secret of life and death, and here you are with a bubble-headed co-ed." You're not even a second-rate scientist. I was like, yo, because Herbert's main drive 
is to figure this out. And anything and everything that comes before that is like stupid. He even said, who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job on a sideshow. Side <laughs> he was, he was, Herbert was going in when he was, when he was, when his shit was getting fucked with, he, the, the, the library was open. Okay. The reading glasses were on and that's perfect. Cause he were, he was wearing glasses. Um, and he was reading the house boots down mama. Yes. Her man he was giving them <laughs> fever and it was like the whole movie because that was the other thing that like it, I, it was so hard to take it seriously because he was so funny because even with the dead cat dan was like he could have wrote a note and he was like what was the note supposed to say dan cat dead details later <laughs> the de- it was a dead cat for me because one of the one of the um uh i'll say conflicts i w- i would say but i don't even know if it's conflict but one of the feelings i had about this movie after i watched it especially the ending i was like this is pet cemetery but then i can't say that because this came out in 1985 pet cemetery was 1989 i believe but then again, Pet Cemetery, and that's the movie. Pet Cemetery, the novel was 1983. But then again, Reanimator is based on H.P. Lovecraft's story, which is way like that comes way before Pet Cemetery. So I'm thinking like, who inspired who? Because I'm watching Reanimator, and the thing that happened with the cat, and then the ending. I'm like, I've seen this before with Church, mm-hmm. and then um, the wife. I'm like, what? What are we doing here? What's what's going on? What? So I was thinking like. It, it, I'm like, is it derivative? But then, Pet Cemetery, the film, might have been inspired by what happened in Reanimator, and they just did it in a more horror-driven way, where it was, you know, n- uh, no comedy, just horror. But I just felt like, you know, but that was, but I was biased because I had seen Pet Cemetery way and read the book way before I had even ever saw Reanimator. Re-animator. So I, I, that wouldn't be fair to say, but um. Maybe it's just a common thing because when it comes to bringing the the power to bring, but necromancy basically, um, it, yeah. I think it's tied to um, you start small, hence hence the cat, hence the pet, and then you at the end it's usually desperation where you go full on bigger things with where how he tried to bring uh his he tried to bring his girlfriend back to life um who got because uh she got strangled to death um megan got strangled to death in the elevator by um a reanimated cadaver animated corpse and even though he knew it was wrong he still took the syringe and put it in like the base of her skull and the movie ends i love you and then she just screams oh and the ending and then the ending of pet cemetery is um, he loses his wife. He uh, he loses his wife to uh, his dead, his reanimated son Gage, who is a freaking demon child at that point. My God, today, and <laughs> she hit the wife dies, and even though he just saw, he literally just saw, just like, just like um, her, uh, Daniel just saw what happened, but he just saw what happened to what will happen to a human body. If you put it, in, if you bury it in that cemetery, if you put it in the Indian burial ground, he just saw what happened, but he did it anyway out of grief and out of love. And his dead wife comes back, and in the movie, um, she has she grabs a knife, 
and it's like she stabs him it's implied like the screen goes black and you hear uh, lewis that was his name you hear lewis scream but in the book um you just hear her come up behind him and it sounds like her mouth is filled with dirt and she just says darling and it's just like y'all never my whole thing was mel i was like y'all never learn never never learn like you see what happened and yet you you repeat we gonna do it again stuff and that was a i think that was a running theme in the movie where it's just like especially with herbert i'm like sir you saw it's not working and yet you keep repeating it but that's i think that's where his madness comes from he is so hell-bent on getting this perfect he is so hell-bent on getting this right and having it work because i think as like a when you're a doctor or, or a surgeon and you go or a nurse and you go through med school and all this stuff there is no room for error no none like the y'all amount of work y'all don't sleep y'all don't eat you're you you fought you sleep in the library you are you are getting this right because people's lives are literally on the line if you don't and i feel like with herbert it's <laughs> i mean it's it's kind of like lives are live death is on the, i don't what who's on the line who's calling i don't know but herbert is like but that's the interesting I have to thing bring about it because he says that every doctor's goal is to defeat death right that's what he kind of starts off with in one of his monologues about why he's doing what he's doing and we saw that with daniel because his scene was the opposite of his introductory scene was the opposite of herbert's where herbert was trying to well bring they were somebody. both doing the same thing no you're they were right. both trying to bring somebody you're right. back you're right but that's you're why right. i love dan's right. arc so much yeah. because he was traditionally even though like he was not doing cpr in the way in which you are supposed to do cpr um he was pr- doing cpr on this unknown woman and the, the doctor had to call line. him off where it's just like right. she's gone a doctor knows when to stop is right it was what right. she said and it, oh i love that she said that because the end of the movie he didn't know when to, when stop. to stop still he didn't learn his fucking lesson and so the their their goals are the same as medical students right we are both studying ways in which we can save people's lives herbert however was just trying to save them in a different way a very right. unorthodox he, in his mind death was not the final factor he was there he knew that there was a way that you could reanimate a body after death and his his unsanctioned tests were based upon dosage and length of death and all of these other things and he was trying to figure out because like that moment where Megan's father is murdered and then he's like, we are in the middle of an experiment. <laughs> get your shit together and get it together right now. It was like, that's his whole thing. Dan, on the other hand, is struggling with a lot of different things. He's having sex with the, the dean's daughter and he could be thrown out at any time. And he's not really that good of a doctor from what I saw throughout the whole thing right so he's like where do i fit because him going to the dean to tell him that herbert reanimated a cat was the dumbest thing in the world why are we here why, why would are you, you do that this? why right. you this that is for, stupid like you don't listen you sound crazy and we and we know that but at the same time you don't even know you don't know herbert yet like he could be very i mean you obviously see he's unhinged and dangerous but he could like he could get you like you need to play it safe right now until so you really know who you're dealing with. I mean, that's your new roommate now. That's he in your basement. Yeah, all up in the basement. But 
then at the end, when Dan was trying to do CPR on Megan, and everybody was like, no, like you got it's time to call it. He's like, no, it's not. And it's that decision making that is prevalent, I think, throughout both of the films. It's like, regardless, I would rather have them be quote unquote alive. Are you talking about the sequel? No, that in Pet Cemetery. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where I would rather you be alive. Well, I would rather you have me alive than lose you. When it's just right. like, it's like, it, and you know, that's part of grief and and life and loss and death where it's just like you, of course you don't want it to happen. Of course you don't want, but it's like you, it's, it's inevitable. And it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a passage that has to, take place and it's not something that you can remember i mean we've seen <laughs> found destination death was like wait but i'm sorry on. what stop the count <laughs> stop the count wait a minute let me hold, let me get about this seat real quick hold, hold on. on like the sludge on me like ho- let me get let me go ahead done, and get up <laughs> somebody done fucked up let me see oh oh okay let me oh d- y'all think you okay this is how i'm gonna do this oh you think you cute mm all right this how you this how i'm gonna do this um so it's like y'all see what happens when you try to do something that you're not supposed to do through whatever means through science or whatever it usually as you saw it bites you in the ass and i feel like herbert was on a quest for he wasn't even trying to do it for fame or riches he was just trying to be in an in a you know an an unorthodox way um the best medical student or doctor possible in his goal of defeating death. And with Daniel, um, he was just trying to save people. Right. Cause and nothing got crazy until Dr. Hill came through. Cause Dr. Hill became a doctor for the wrong reasons. Right. Dr. Hill was trying to be famous by plagiarizing other people's work and, right. and doing right. a half ass he- job at the- teaching it. The Lockhart, the Lockhart of the doctor's office. Yeah. Yeah. And he should have went back to Party City where he belonged. And instead, I will say, I will say the headless thing and the, and the, the talking head with the, with the body, it, it, it gave me child's play, which again, child's play came fucking after this. So who was Stuart Gordon was a master at at crafting these worlds and and showing off like all because he was just so good at being able to to craftfully show this uncanny gore fest in a way that is so artful because one of my favorite things about this film is that yes it's buckets of blood but it's like tasteful buckets of blood because the scene where Dr. Hill is is showing them how to remove a brain oh very softy my god but it didn't have to be as bloody as it was. And it could have been too much. But it was, like, the perfect amount of, like, noises and, and blood and, like, the Damn, jelly was brain. Saw, was Saw 3 also inspired by Reanimator? Is Reanimator mother? Yes. My God. Stuart Gordon is the grandpappy. Oh, my goodness. This is crazy. Because even that moment with Hill's head in the tray Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they sneak into the morgue Mm -hmm. and the body puts the tray on the table and he like gets blood for some reason and like just squirts it in there and he's like oh yeah give me that that's the stuff (laughs) i was like what are we doing here but it was perfect it was perfect the headless 
crazy mad scientist who can barely talk because he's talking with a rasp because he ain't got no lungs. And the fact that he can still control his body, what are that we was the thing that got me. I'm like, I'm like, the funniest thing was Herbert's greatest enemy was the only one to successfully successfully survive and, and also reanimate re- and do and you know actually properly reanimate <sighs> even though he was dehydrated he still he was still he still was conscious he had he was still sit well insane but he had sanity he was still himself human. yeah he was just murderous so maybe it only works on the the murderous ones who knows it was funny one thing i think that we have to talk about as black horror podcasters is the only black person in this movie. The fucking security guard. The only one who had any goddamn sense. He saw what the fuck was going on in that room. And you know what he did? He, he was called like, the police. Oh, he was gone. He was gone. He's what got thrown at the wall? A head? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um the the um the dean um after you know Megan was able to get through to him crushed um Dr. Wow, names. He crushed Dr. Carl's head and then threw it and it hit the wall outside the morgue, which is right next to um the Mace's security desk. guard. Um, who's and I love how the security his name was Mace. <laughs> Never leave the house without it. Um but and Mace just like took one look and he 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 ran off. He ran gotta up go. he ran straight the fuck up out of there. So I gotta go. he was the I he had very good situational awareness. <laughs> he was like, this is not my scene. This is not for me. I'm going to go Audi 5000. I'll catch you on the flip. Yeah. yeah I was, he, the energy was, you don't pay me enough for this. And don't. <laughs> and don't. I will say that in the, in the world of the hospital, it was... Looking, looking at it now, very critically, obviously, it was interesting to not see more black nurses or black orderlies mm-hmm. or even other black doctors, right? Mm-hmm. Like in this universe, mm-hmm. because in the eighties, we w- we was around. <laughs> we was in if here. not a doctor, we were like nurses and other hospital staff, at least. Yeah. So Jerry, Jerry Black, there should have been. Um, he should have had more company. The only thing that I didn't like about the character portrayal, and it's also, I'm trying to, it's like six and one half a dozen in the other, right? Because a lot of the times security guards are either oh, portrayed. Oh, like kind of lazy, slacking off. It was right. the Boudoir magazine. And the, and the cigar in his mouth yeah. and like the jokey jokes. Damn, they literally got to smoke everywhere. Everywhere. Like everywhere back then. The Everywhere, it's too. My poor lungs. You remember, couldn't take do you it. remember when you go in restaurants and they would ask you smoking or non-smoking? Girl, I just I can't take it. And cigarettes are so noxious. I can't do it. My lungs. But I mean, but with that, with that security guard trope, right? Was that just like the security guard thing, or is that also because he was black? Is a question I find myself asking today. I want to say it was just because it was a security guard. We've seen that because he, I feel like that security guard is a trope within itself. Yeah. The lazy security guard or like the unaware security guard. Cause I feel like it's either they're like that. They're like super, I think I'm a cop. (laughs) Or anal. Yeah. Super anal. Yep. yep, Or they're um, Paul Blart. Like it's pure comic relief. Yeah. But I, I, I think he, I think he did a good job for, you know, he lived. 
yeah he, he survived he got the fuck got out, out. out of dodge i appreciated that so i i really i liked his character he was and i think he was another i mean the movie was it's marketed as a horror comedy and i think herbert um through his deadpan and all that he was i don't want to say he was the comic relief but he was but funny. he was but i feel like mace he was so funny i feel like mace could have been said as like he was comic relief too i don't know but um yeah i do wish reanimator um featured um more black actors and actresses and characters um because it would have been interesting to see how they would have also reacted to this situation right. uh, there there were some black cadavers like there was yes. a black guy in the morgue there, yeah that was that one um also i wasn't i wasn't prepared for a lot of the full frontal nudity they were showing. There was so much. There was I was so very, much. I was very surprised. I was like, "Oh, y'all are going there." Um, Daniel also should have been full frontal, but that's just that's my own personal <laughs> bias. I mean, the sheet. If y'all are gonna show all that stuff, especially when it comes to uh, Megan, I need equal across representation. The- equal representation. I needed the sheet to fall off all the way when he saw that. Um, Herbert was at the door and that's how they met. I needed that's how it to be. But anyway, um, I enjoyed Reanimator. I think it was... It's a good time. It's it, just so much fun. It was. I thought it was... Uh, and it's a great movie for the trope of the mad scientist. Herbert is endlessly quotable. Um, the whole scene with the cat was wild as hell. Um, and I think that's where I got to see how funny he could be. Mm-hmm. And if this were to be remade or rebooted today, I feel like, again, it is ripe for the picking. I think um, Akila Cooper should get her paws on this. Cause I think that it's everything that she, like, I saw, I feel like, I feel like um, I saw pieces of malignant in this, um, but I, I think, see that. yeah. So, and so I wouldn't be surprised if she was in, re- inspired by reanimator, but I feel like if she were to do it, uh, I think she couldn't resist the horror component, but I would love to see this done like straight horror though. And like I said, you can have a sprinkle of comedy in there, but I need like, I want there, I want it to just be like scary, like scary and gory. And like when this reanimate, like kind of like, you know, Pet Cemetery was where it's like these. Um, oh, yeah, like the remake? Yeah, I, well. Yeah. I was, the original and the remake um but i did like that line where he's like herbert said i have a plan and dr carl's like so do i and all the bodies rose at once if mm-hmm. they do a remake i hope they keep that it was great that was it's very so well great. done that was very well done but i just wanted to be like straight whore like you know like i want to be i want to i want to dare to be tension i want to feel like oh my god like this is like oh my god they kill the people and like they're like when they come back it's it's not the, no funny thing like you he he won't be in no straight jacket like he's gonna be like this is like he gonna be biting it's like dangerous you know i just but that was the interesting thing right because these these reanimated corpses were not zombies it felt very much thriller yeah it was giving very much thriller they were just like ultra violent they they weren't trying to eat your brain true i was like are they about to break out some choreo here let's go I never went on my mind, my mind, my mind. You never know. I said thriller, not four town. 
<laughs> Get out of here. I did the same choreo, just to the different song. <laughs> um, but y'all, y'all, that was Reanimator. Check it out if you haven't. I really enjoyed it. Um, classic mad scientist film. And I think it, it does work as a horror comedy. Again, it's 80s horror. Just watch it in that vein, and y'all will have a good time. So great. You Herbert, can't not like Herbert this honestly movie. gave me a crazy, like, mad scientist uh, deadpan version of Harry Potter. <laughs> that was my first thought. That was my first thought when I saw it. I'm like, um, Daniel Radcliffe has a mad scientist? What's going on? Ooh. If they do a reboot... Cast Daniel. Get him in there. Get him in there because I would not be mad at that. If y'all review straight horror or horror comedy, he has the chops for both. I just called it. Can we just plug? Can we just plug a monkey paw production written by Akilah Cooper, starring Daniel Radcliffe? Get get call Daniel Radcliffe. Have him do it. Get him when y'all say get somebody else to do it. That's Daniel Radcliffe. Get him. He's that somebody else. Wow, that would be so cute. So, Daniel, if you listen, because I know how much you love playing, like, the antagonist in, like, I know, he's, the rain. In the Lost City? Did you see the Lost City? He He was was great. He was so funny. He was so funny. He was so funny. I love Daniel Radcliffe. And I was not expecting him to pop up. And I was like, oh, my God, Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe is one of those actors who refuses to be held down by, you know, what got him into the stratosphere he's like yes that was that but i'm gonna do all this other things like um i feel like uh um that was then this is now yes and i feel like david bautista is doing the same thing um you could even dave bautista is the greatest wrestler turned turned actor actor, period Period! i love dwayne the rock johnson and Dave Batista is the best wrestler turn actor. And that's fine. That's fine. You know what? Cast Daniel Radcliffe as Herbert and maybe Dave Batista can make a cameo as one of the cadavers. Yeah, one of the bodies. <laughs> Full nudity. <laughs> Let's just do it. Let's oh just gosh. do it. Let's Shut get up. in there. Okay, Shut but um, final curls, Mill? Final curls. Final curls. Final curls. My final curls. Oh my god, we have a thousand followers on Instagram. Wow, like, crazy. We, we made it. We made I it. feel like we made it. We made it. That's a that's, that, that's so a large cool. number of people. That is a that's one thousand people. That could fill a theater, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's wild. It's a thousand and eight right now. It's crazy. So thank y'all so much for like again. It's been two years and a couple months, and we crossed one dot. Thank y'all. I'm just I, that's I was bugging out. I was like, oh my god. I feel like I haven't even had a moment to like sit with that. I just be moving, you know. But wow, thank y'all. I'm thank you. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. And then so I have been doing the newsletter. I think it's fine. I shouldn't say it's fine. That sounds like it's crappy. It's good. <laughs> All of the, the not all of the, but a lot of the times the written materials that I use or Jared uses to like research stuff for the episode, I'll link in there. So like this last newsletter, blah, 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 blah. This last newsletter that went out, I linked the McLuhan, the medium is the message PDF to the newsletter because I don't want to ever talk about something and then not like give you access to the thing. So it's in the newsletter. Mm-hmm. I think we should post it in the 
episode detail notes of uh there's a link there's always a link in the show notes of like sign up okay that are here, okay yeah. oh i mean a link for the actual pdf because what if no but what if not everyone looks at the newsletter then you don't get the pdf uh, <laughs> mel said it not me I, I, <laughs> literally I the, like the point of the newsletter is for y'all i mean okay but maybe we should run a poll because <laughs> if the newsletter is not giving you new information then i won't do it and we could just link it in the show notes and that's fine so let us know it's just a more direct way if you want right but i'm trying to like build up a thing i know I'm, you're right you're right you look it's Mel said it, not me. Block so. my shine, whatever. I'm but sorry. No. Fuck like honestly, but no, like honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know if you want me to keep doing this, because like I honestly don't have to. It's fine. It's okay. Um, and final curls for me. I don't know if I had anything. Let me see. You never not on my mind. Oh, oh here you go with this. Side. Lord, somebody stop her. I don't know. I I don't think I have any final curls. Um, although I might have found my dress for your wedding. <gasps> I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't know. Fun. I don't oh know. my god! <laughs> Exciting. I don't know. So, because this is something I now have to start thinking about. Like, what what is the look going to give? What are we What are we going to look like? But um, I was just. You know, I get emails to this store that um, I shop at, um, one of the higher end ones. So I got to have, you know, the moolah or wait for stuff to go on sale. But this this dress, it called out to me and I'm thinking, oh my, where could I wear it? And then I was thinking the word wedding came to mind. I was like, ah, Mel is getting married I this year. Am. Oh my God. So I don't know. I might, I might have to, I might, I don't know. That might be the one I'll have to do some more investigating, but this is something I, I um, am looking forward to. And I just want to look really, really good for us. So who knows? Get excited. Um, but yeah, I don't really, I don't think I have any um, final curls. Also at the time of this airing, uh, it will be, February, um, Black History Month. And um, I think Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever is going to be available on streaming at this time. So Fun. if you're ha- on Disney Plus, so if you haven't seen it, turn it on. Let it let it move you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was it for my final curls. And uh, we I really hope we both really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I know I enjoyed recording it. Reanimator is one of again my top films. Re- it's so much. Reanimator fun. was a wild time. Like I, I the more the more I think about it, the more that I am appreciative of the character of Herbert West and how well Jeffrey Combs played him. It was just so funny. He was so good. So yeah, yeah. V- funny, good, but just like very, very good. And the way that um I think Bruce. And him were able to like riff and run off of each other. Like it was just the like the James Brown co- uh, sheet moment really got me going because I was just like, oh, he's going into shock. I was like, what is happening here? So I so I feel like if again if y'all do a reboot remake, and it's Daniel Radcliffe playing Herbert, he has to be matched up with somebody who can match that. You know, it has to because yeah. it's not going to work if it because the the synergy those two had between each other how they start yeah. out as like. Um, adversarial and then it became like the part a partnership 
y'all need to like y'all will have to do this justice so i'm just very i'm very interested if they were to do this you know like what it what it could look like um and just also shout out again to the last of us getting a season two um i'm just very excited and we are now 50 minutes away from the episode that focuses episode three that focuses on bill and his partner um that is going to be another long episode like uh another like hour and 20 minutes or so and it is the highest reviewed episode yet so critical acclaim all around i'm very excited so thank you all for listening and we will catch you next week see you in the future podcast people